Welcome to Two Travel Dads Podcast. Here we share our favorite destinations, travel tips, stories from our adventures, and bring on awesome guests to share insights into their travelsome lives. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out our detailed show notes at twotraveldads.com slash podcast dash episodes. And take two. <laughs> uh, hey, it's Rob and this is Two Travel Dads Podcast. And we are going to give this another shot. We had, so I've got my good friend Kate with me here. We've recorded a couple podcast episodes together and we are tackling this one more time because we just started and we got through some wonderful dialogue sharing some intimate moments of life when I realized that it was not recording us properly. I mean, you know, <laughs> it happens. Technical difficulties. It's my middle name. Good times. Anyways. So yeah. So Kate, welcome back. Thanks. It's lovely to have you. It's lovely to be here. Uh, so we've recorded several episodes together. We've talked about joy and kind of the pursuit of that in our own lives. And we've talked about my skills and how I do travel planning. And we talked about her own travel anxiety. She really opened up and was vulnerable about, gosh, this is what it's like to, when you don't travel every day, this is what runs through your head. And these are, ah! All that stuff. Yeah, my crippling travel anxiety. Yeah. Well, so, but it was not crippling because you made it. Yes. It, my tra- Well, my travel anxiety is a nice vacation from my regular anxiety, for sure. Exactly. It's a different brand. Yeah. So. <laughs> so what is it? So just as a recap, just in case anybody hasn't listened to the one that we did about travel anxiety, what is it that makes you anxious when you think about travel and planning something huge? Um, I think it's the overwhelming hugeness for sure. I think that's a big part of it. And I think it's the fear of the unknown as well. I don't know what to expect. I don't know exactly where I'm going. I'm not sure what it'll be like once I get there. Uh, And I'm a person, my anxiety makes me very type A. And I need to be prepared for anything and everything that will and could happen. So that feels very heavy, you know. So I carry all of that, and then it just kind of whirlwinds into a nice uh, panic, a nice deep panic. (laughs) So thinking about all that, so the trip that you just did, one day you were like, hey, we're going to go to Europe, and you booked it. So you just did the UK and Scotland and then had a little time in Amsterdam. Yep. With that, thinking about like your anxiety and kind of the things that could have gone wrong, do you feel like anything that you had presupposed in your mind came to fruition as far as things not working out the way you wanted? No. And I think that once I had planned, well, mm, I shouldn't say no. (laughs) Uh, I think all of the things that I was worried about that would happen happened before we left. So like what? So our flights got rearranged. Um, And, you know, things were, we got notifications that our flights were at different times. Initially, our layover in Amsterdam was about 90 minutes. Then they were like, yeah, your layover in Amsterdam is going to be about 30 minutes. And so then we started to freak out because the more research I did on Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, the more I realized it's huge. And it is not easy to get from one gate to the next in 30 minutes. And, and that's if you're playing. it has the most intimidating customs it's, area. It's bananas. Even though it's really well organized. And <laughs> so, um, and yeah, and you know, just FYI to everyone that ever flies in Schiphol. It's a lovely airport. It was actually, a r- it was much nicer than I ever expected it to be. And it was really well organized. However, you know, it's just large size wise. And, you know, if anybody who's ever tried to get to a connecting flight in a short amount of time, 
you know, the the image from the uh, McAllisters running through the airport to catch the plane goes through everybody's head, right? So I think that those those were the things I was most worried about. And then we ended up having to deal with them before we ever left. So really, you know, just regular life stuff. And um, what ended up happening is my husband called the airline and said uh, they had changed our, our layover again. This time it was not going to be 30 minutes. It was going to be eight hours overnight. And at that point we were like, okay, well... Now we have to pay for a hotel. I don't want to sleep in the you know lobby of the airport or whatever. The Not my favorite no. way to travel. <laughs> so uh, my husband ended up calling the airline and talking to them there and saying, hey, listen, can you just push our flight back a full day? We'll have two nights in Amsterdam and a day in Amsterdam. And then we got to like actually visit Amsterdam. So ultimately making that choice got us another day in another country. Yeah, yeah. It was fabulous. Love Amsterdam. It was cold, but it was gorgeous. And... You know, it ended up working out. But a lot of those things, uh, a lot of the things that I freak out about, by the time the trip rolled around, it wasn't an issue. Like packing, I was freaking out. Oh my gosh, are we going to fit everything? But by the time I get to the airport, everything's packed. It's done. Yeah. And I one figured of, it out. It, well, one of the things that you were doing that impressed me or surprised me or disgusted me, I wasn't sure, um, <laughs> was how far in advance you were packing and kind of doing test runs for packing and stuff. And do you think that that made it so that you guys were successful? Yes. And Because you're honestly, doing the UK in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's, here's the, the really interesting thing. We did the UK in the winter and we only backpacked. We had, I ordered large backpacks from Amazon that are like, you know, carry on size. And um, my boys are big enough to carry their own luggage. So that was really helpful. So everybody got their own backpack. And then my kids actually had stuff that they brought that they didn't wear. So we overpacked. We were, we were good to go. That's and we impressive. brought layers. You were gone for like two weeks. 14 days, yeah. And you didn't wear everything? We, but my kids did. I wore everything because okay. I pack very intelligent. <laughs> my kids, we, there were things that they packed that, they were like, that were like their nice outfits to go out to dinner or whatever that they never wore. Because oh. my kids are like, ew, it's itchy. And I don't I'm wanna, done packing stuff like that. Yeah, so... <laughs> It ended up being fine, and we had laundry on the premises in both London and in um, Scotland, which was a huge, obvious help. Um, so we did our washing and stuff, but it was it ended up being fine. Packing is definitely a point of anxiety as far as like planning goes for me. Like that is one of my biggest planning like feelings. And kind of like pre-packing seemed to have been a bit of a therapy. Yeah. And I always, I always, um, think I'm going to forget something that I really need, which uh, inevitably you do forget something that you really need. But I mean, unless you're going to, you know, a third world country, usually you can get nail clippers, you can get, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's not the end of the world if you forget your, you know, third pair of socks or whatever. And I think I kind of resolved myself to that. I did go through the bags like several times before we left and repacked and, you know, (laughs) but, um, I tried, you know, I, I think that planning was really, really key. Anybody that struggles with travel anxiety, with anxiety as a whole, I guess, um, I think that just organization mm-hmm. tends to help and make you feel like you have a little bit of control. Because a lot of my anxiety in every case comes from lack of control. Oh. And it's funny. So Kelly and I recorded a podcast episode about our road trip through Arizona, which you can listen to on the podcast station. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was how I tend to plan everything really hardcore down to the, we need to leave by this time at the 
so that we can do this hike and this hike is going to take this long. And one of the things she said is that, that if you are a nervous traveler is key to really actually making sure that you feel safe. And that was the word that she used was yeah. that it gives you a feeling of safety when you know that you will be here at this time. I a hundred percent agree with yeah. that. And look at how it threw you when your plans went awry when you were away and I was away. Oh my away. God. And we, and we were 10 hours apart in our time zones oh. and I get a text from you and I'm like, good grief, what time is it there? And it was just, uh, I completely understand your travel anxiety now. <laughs> and But I mean, you know, I think that for people that really want to know what's going on and, and need that in there to feel safe. And I think that's a great word. Um, I think that's really, really, you know, a big part of that is just having everything set. And, you know, honestly, and this is going to make everybody jealous, we didn't have one speck of rain. Not what It did not rain. We were in Europe for 14 days in the rainy season. I can't even believe that. In the rainiest countries, and it did not rain. And so we were really lucky. We packed for rain. I had raincoats, you know. Um, but they doubled as winter jackets. We did have to buy my son a new winter jacket whilst we were in the that UK. That matched his shoes? No, oh. because he Shameful. decided <laughs> to be a dramatic teenager and was tired of walking when we were in London. We were walking up to Abbey Road and dragged his the side of his oh, body right. along <laughs> a wall that was being freshly painted by a nice older gentleman that my son then ruined. his. And I just looked at him. I was like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? Um, but I was like, just keep walking. Like we were, you know, we're going from Portobello road to Abbey road. It's a long walk. I'm like, just keep walking. So that we ended up in, we got, when we got to Scotland, we bought him a new coat, but, um, Good times. yeah, you know, I think that there's, there's always going to be things that happen that you can't plan for, but I think being as prepared as you can for whatever, you know, you're, if you, <laughs> I like, I like the idea of expect the worst and hope for the best. I think I do a lot of my life that way. I like to say low expectations, high hopes. Yeah. I mean, same, <laughs> same idea. So, you know, I think that that is, and I have a husband who is, he claims he doesn't have tra travel anxiety. He has a different kind of travel anxiety. His is more about like, where are we going to park? And how am I going to drive this car on the other side of the road and stuff like that? Um, which he did great. He, by day two, he was fine. And, but his, his is stuff that you can't play. Like he worries about things that he would never be able to figure out ahead of time. And, but then of course, like all of this I did. So he was just like, all right, I'll, Easy just, breezy. Sh yeah, I'll just show up with my bag and whatever. Well, so since we are talking about Brian, let's talk about what everybody enjoyed and then we'll get to what you enjoyed. Okay. This was new experience for all of you. So, you know, I, I talked to Brian before you guys went, what, do you, what was your impression of how he enjoyed the trip? Was it literally just easy breezy, here I am? Was there something that stood out and he was like, yes, this is exactly why I wanted to do this trip with my family? I think the thing for him, and I don't know if he would say this, but I would say this. Oh, we can have him on too. I mean, he <laughs> definitely what came home and was like, okay, when are we moving to Europe? Because I like get on the interwebs and start looking for a house or whatever. Um, Going to Europe is really eye opening because then you see what it's actually like in the United States. Yeah. And how, how the other we are actually lives. not as remarkable as everybody here likes to think. Yeah. I'm going to say this ladies, our 
public restroom situation is not up to par. Oh, please do tell us all oh, about the restrooms because I, you were so excited I mean, about that. The, okay, everyone that's listening, I, my literal takeaway from Europe was like the public restroom situation. <laughs> Their public restrooms, if anyone is listening that has never been to Europe, the, I, our public restrooms, I walked out of every public restroom in Europe and looked at my husband and said, oh my gosh, we live in a third world country. I don't even, I don't know what's happening in my life. We have... And for anybody that doesn't know men, I don't know what your bathrooms look like. I don't go in a lot of male bathrooms, but uh, the stalls in a regular, you know, like a Target bathroom, a, a you know, on the side of the road kind of place, uh, rest stops, that kind of thing. Any public restroom, a female woman's bathroom is a stall, right, that has like three feet of clearance under the walls and door of said stall with a toilet at the back. And there is a one to two inch gap. And I think the ladies will agree. It's a, it's a decent sized gap in most places where you can actually, when you're sitting on the toilet, make eye contact with the person who is looking to see if anyone is in that stall. So privacy, not really a straw. I mean, we've all had the small child stick their head under the bathroom stall. We've all had that, okay? This is like a common occurrence. In Europe, they have walls that go to the floor. They have a door, a closing physical door that goes to the floor. It's a room. It's a private room. You have to do your business. You got to do it too, as I say. It's a, pri- it's a special private place. Well, it's clean. It's comfortable. They don't have the toilet seat that's like broken at the front. Why is it not complete? Where, what's going on with the toilet seat in the U.S.? Why are we not doing that? I wonder if that's why our nice lounges at airports in the U.S., have doors go all the way to the floor. They're is fantastic. because there are also people from other countries who have standards. Yeah, and would probably raise a ruckus if they walked in there and they were like, what is this garbage? What are we doing yeah, here? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just really needed to talk about the toilets for whatever reason. Um, but it I'm was, glad it brought you joy and happiness and that you were so passionate about public restrooms. It's frustrating now when I go into a Target bathroom. But... Um, and, the, you know, I think the level of just cleanliness, weirdly, like it was just well, t- they, all of their public restrooms, even in the Isle of Skye, where there are no people, it's just open mountain ranges. They have side of the road public restrooms that are nicer, nicer than most like state owned public restrooms at rest stops. And I was so shocked by that. So, yeah, if you go to Europe, definitely use a public restroom. That's my PSA for wow. the day. <laughs> There's your takeaway. Good times. Um, um, so you enjoyed the restrooms. That was I, your highlight. That was the highlight mm. of my trip. No, it was not. But it was definitely something. Uh, as, far as, my, as far as my family and my husband goes, my husband really was, I think that his biggest takeaway was that all the things that we had heard that were negative were not the case. Yeah. And um, it's the same with France. Oh, well, we'll talk about that on a different Mm -hmm. podcast. But anyway, um, no, I definitely think that like I think he was concerned about like crime because, you know, in the U.S. you hear like, my gosh, everywhere else is like so much worse than here. But really, that's not not the case. And Jack the Ripper was so long ago. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, yeah. Fun fact. Do you know what the top number one country that for serial killers is? Probably U.S. It is. And do you know what the second one is? 
U.S. minor outlying islands? It's England. Oh. <laughs> and England has had a hundred and I think somebody's going to have to fact check me on this, but I think it's like around 119 serial killers. The United States has had over 3,000. So good job, everybody. I don't oh know what gosh. we're doing, but we need to like uh, sit down and relax. It's probably me. because people sit here listening to true crime podcasts oh, girls. and they Am develop the need to do this. Girls, we're, it's fine. We're, do, we're okay. Anyways. I love true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Good times. So, and I think there's a lot of ladies out there that would agree. Anyway, but uh, the, the one thing that we really appreciated was that it was really safe. We, we felt really, really safe walking around. It gets dark in the UK and in Amsterdam at like 3.30 in the afternoon in the wintertime. It's like the Pacific Northwest. But we walked <laughs> around at like the bus depot, which in the, in the States is like the bus depot. It was, I felt totally safe. It was totally fine. Everything was lovely. I just remembered something I wanted to ask you about. Okay, great. So, you are a gluten-free person here in the U.S. I am a gluten-free person. Tell us about what you ate in the U.K. This is going to get me destroyed in the comments, but That's okay. I can take it. Let's destroy you. I want to hear it because this is exciting. I have a really bad, uh, I'm going to say gluten intolerance, right? My doctor who didn't, I, we, I never had an official celiac test, but she's like, I think you have celiac. It's, I digress. So I can't eat gluten. It makes me really, really sick. And when I say really, really sick, I mean like vomiting sick, right? And I get a headache and I get muscle aches and you know, all that stuff, but vomiting for the most part. I ate gluten when I was there. I chanced it. I did it because I wasn't going to take a chance. And then I, you know, decided we were staying with my friend, uh, Nikki in London and I was like, if I'm going to get sick, I'd rather get sick at her house. And just, I, mean, I want to see if it, you know, because other people had said, oh, you can eat gluten. You know, we've, uh, people have had no problem, whatever. So, and if you're like a hardcore celiac, I feel you. I'm sorry. And I don't chance it. But uh, the, the bread over there, for whatever reason, did not affect me. And when I say did not affect me, I meant, I mean, I didn't feel bloated. I didn't feel... My stomach was fine. I didn't feel nauseous. I didn't, there was nothing. I felt fantastic did the entire time. Did you try any beer? I did not. I don't, oh. really, I don't really like beer. That's okay. Um, I was just curious. I also feel like people are going to come for me because I just <laughs> like beer. But not everybody likes beer. It's I okay. don't really like beer. More beer for the rest of us. Um, but also it's like cold. I feel like beer is a hot day drink. Anyway, but uh, the I ate bread. Once I had the initial bread and I was totally fine, I ate bread like... It was my dying meal. I was, every restaurant we went into, I was like, what's your soup of the day? Does that come with the big crusty spread <laughs> that I could slather some butter on, which I also don't eat in the States? I ate everything that I don't eat here. It was the best vacation in the whole world just because of that. It's kind of um, like just like a bigger vacation from like everyday reality. Yes, it was very, it was amazing. Um, I love bread and I miss it. So, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it was an eye-opening experience. I think for my kids, the, the best part for me watching my kids was them experiencing a different place, different culture, kind of, sort of. Um, and also them eating things that they don't normally eat. I have picky eaters and they're 12 and 14. Parents feel me, you know? So... They're like, oh, I don't want to have that. But 
they were trying stuff. They were beans on toast. They did not have. We nobody ate beans on I toast. I know beans on toast. In I fact, I have I have had several Londoners being like, "No, that's not great." Um, they ate fish and chips. They loved it. That's actually what we had for Thanksgiving dinner was Ooh. fish and chips from the chippy. Mm. And uh, you know, so they we ate at pubs and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. They had such a good time. They. Um, we went in Scotland. We went up to see the Cairngorm, Cairngorm, I cannot say that word, uh, reindeer. So oh. in Cairngorm National Park, at the top of this mountain, they have a herd of reindeer that you can go up and the herders will take you up and you learn about them and then you can feed them, which is pretty amazing. Well, that's cool. I didn't know that there was reindeer in Scotland. Yeah, so awesome. <laughs> you can hand feed them. Um, and they kind of talked to you all about them and how they got there. And uh, one guy was like, hey, there used to be reindeer here and there aren't anymore. So he brought reindeer to Scotland huh. again. Cool. So it was really neat. It was a really ex- awesome experience. I have a 12-year-old that loves animals. So he was happy as a clam. Perfect. Um, and then, so, gosh, I, have, I feel like we could do a really long podcast, but we're not going <laughs> to go too crazy. Part two. Well, so I'm kind of curious. So. Clearly, Brian enjoyed it, wants to move there. You enjoyed all the glutinous things. Mm-hmm. Was there anything where the kids were like, oh, this is my jam besides the reindeer? Did they really love London? Did they love going up into Scotland? What, what got the boys just like jamming out on the UK? Okay, so for my 14-year-old, he loved London because there's shopping there, and he really does like shopping. He likes shopping. He's, he's very, He's very into like sneakers and or trainers, as they're called. And sports, and so we went and got him a pair of Nikes. That was one of his Christmas presents, uh, early Christmas presents, uh, in Covent Garden. And he was happy as clam about that. And then we ended up getting my 12-year-old sneakers as well, because, you know, you can't buy one thing for this kid and not the other, um, in Soho one night. So they liked the shopping aspect. They, my, both my kids are like me. So most of their enjoyment comes from food, which is, I'm really raising them right. So, uh, my oldest loves Chinese food and we went to Chinatown for dinner one night and it's a cool Chinatown. It's a really really cool Chinatown. And I will say that was my, that was like another big surprise everywhere we went, even if it was crowded and London was very crowded. They had had a March there, uh, the day that we were in by Buckingham palace. And then, they, um, you know, Carnaby Street, the like lights, and it was Black Friday weekend. So it was, there were people everywhere. It was absolutely mad. In fact, my friend Dan kept saying, it's, it's, abso- mad. it's absolute <laughs> chaos down here. And he's a Londoner, so he's like, I've never seen this before. But um, meanwhile, Dan's going to be like, that doesn't sound like me. Um, but, you know, uh, they, the boys loved it. And they, they, we went to Chinatown and got a table for eight right away, like in a d- throes of people. We just like walked up and I was like, hey, do you have a table for eight? And they're like, yeah, come on right upstairs. And even when we went to Borough Market, it was mobbed. I mean, when I say mobbed, wall-to-wall people walked just outside Borough Market, still wall-to-wall people walked into a pub. Do you guys have a table for eight? They're like, yeah, just go upstairs. I'm like, apparently the upstairs wow. in these places is really where it's at. So, um, but yeah, the... So even things like that, that would be typically stressful for me. Right. So breezy. So breezy. It was like peculiarly, like it was weird. It got a little creepy. I love that. And I'm glad. Um, and my 12-year-old loved Amsterdam the most. And that was based on Stroopwafels. Of course. Because... 
they had Nutella all over them. <laughs> He's obsessed with Nutella. He's obsessed. Mm. So, yeah. So, I think everybody really walked away loving it. Everybody walked away wanting to go back. Um, Has anybody said, hey, let's specifically, let's go back to Scotland or let's get our next trip on the books? Like, wh- where is everybody at with now that because once you open that can of international travel, you realize that it is easy, even if it is costly it's way more easy and it's such a different world than what we live in yeah like i I think that that is the kind of having left that experience and had while i was there i had no anxiety and even like navigating the tube in london by ourselves and stuff i had no anxiety it was it was so easy when you go and you're like wow this is really not hard this is like actually easier than my regular everyday life um I think it was, you know, it was definitely something that the, well, the boys now, we've decided that we're going to go to Italy in 2025. I love Italy. And the boys were like, can we stop in London for a couple of days and then fly to Italy? And I was like, oh, maybe. Easy um, jet, cheap flights. So I think, scary. you know, I think that we flew easy jet uh, from London to Scotland. Yeah. And it was fine. Um, but yeah, I think it was, you know, I think everybody really... I think the takeaway, honestly, was like, this is not as hard as I thought it was going to be. And one of the things that kind of gets me is that it really is. The the flight is the toughest part Mm -hmm. because it's long and uh, but people will go and they will spend an exorbitant amount on a Disney World vacation for four or five days. And for the cost of that, you can have two to three weeks in Europe and probably still not spend as much as you spend on a week-long or less Disney vacation. And in Europe, a hamburger doesn't cost $10. So right? There you go. Yeah, and it just, it, that, that's one of the things that kind of always gets me when I, whenever I get to leave North America <laughs> is just how surprising it is that more Americans are not venturing to places like the UK or France or Italy or Croatia where it is easy it is not crazy expensive and they still opt for things that are just here which there's lots of great stuff in the USA I'm not bad mouth in the US in that term but yeah there's plenty of places I still want to see yeah but it's just it I'm shocked how few people choose to take the plunge and have an adventure like that yeah I think a lot of I mean I know for me I think a lot of people uh it just seems unattainable it seems like one of those things that you'll just like oh dream about but never get to do and especially if you didn't grow up doing trips like that yes for sure um and I think that there are people that live in the middle of this country that don't it's just not in their wheelhouse. It's just not something that they're necessarily thinking that they're, you know, it's something you see on the travel channel and go, oh gosh, it would be amazing to go to Venice. Mm-hmm. But you never are going to go to Venice. But, you know, why not? I love Venice. Well, it's got all those canals. It's amazing. Um, well, that was good to kind of rehash that. And that's, um, I want to talk more about your very specific itinerary. Mm-hmm. On a different day. Okay. Because I think you guys were doing some pretty cool, interesting things. Kind of outlanderish. I want to hear about your castle. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. But, but no, don't talk about it right now. Save it for the Save next Save it one. for a different day. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was wonderful. And I'm glad to hear that the whole, just how anxious you were, because I was able to visibly see it. And now, like, as you talk about it, you're like, yeah, 
I'm just, I'm so breezy now. It's so breezy. It was so blissful. (laughs) Yeah. So that, that's, that's wonderful. But, um, so definitely tune back in because we will dig into what does it take to do two weeks in the UK and go over that whole itinerary and kind of the planning for that. And then, um, yeah, check out the blog as well, because we are going to have all kinds of info, including my own itinerary for London, because I know how I like to do London. And I think it's going to be very different from what Kate has. So I agree. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and recommend us to your friends who want to go out and explore the world and hear our stories because between me and Chris and Kate and Kelly and all of the different guests that we have on, we have a lot to share. So share us with your friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Two Travel Dads podcast is created by Rob and Chris Taylor in St. Augustine, Florida. We'd love to answer your questions here on the podcast, providing both our experience and stories to share our own insights into whatever you're wondering about. Visit twotraveldads.com slash podcast dash episodes to leave your questions and to check out past episodes and show notes. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and have an awesome day.